0: Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello, and welcome to or welcome back to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Hey, I started this show over five years ago, and I'll let you in on a little secret. It was sort of my own way to get access to to really smart people who were doing cool things, but along the way, we have shared so many great conversations with really, really smart people, and that makes me really happy. We are well over 500 episodes, and we are continuing to go. We are prepping to launch into 2020 with some amazing shows, but as we close out 2019, I have some amazing guests. Before I get started with Today's show, though, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So human behavior, it's a complicated thing, especially when it comes to working and living together and understanding why and how people behave in certain ways, especially in groups. That's what my friends, Dr. Josh Packard and Megan Bissell, it's what they do for a living. Their podcast is sponsoring this episode and their podcast is The Bias Disruption. And they answer questions like, what's the ideal team size? How do company cultures change, and where does innovation come from? If you're interested in corporate culture and how to make changes that are going to last, you have to listen to the bias disruption. Megan and Josh use social science, real-world experience, and humor to share useful insights. Plus, they're really nerdy and they play games, so check it out. All right, I'm really excited about today's show because today's show is with one of my newest friends. Recently, my wife and I spent a week in New York, just sort of to get away. One of my professional speaker friends has a cat, and the cat's kind of older, so she doesn't like to send it to one of those cat kennel hotels. And so she said, hey, you can have my apartment on the Upper East Side for five nights if you'll feed my cat. Sounded like a great deal, and it turned out to be the vacation of a lifetime. But a little secret about my wife, she doesn't do mornings. She believes there's a sunrise. She's just never seen one. So one of the things I did in New York is I reached out to my friends and acquaintances and said, hey, I'm in New York. Anybody want to have breakfast? And I'm part of a speakers group. And this person, Heather Hansen, said, I'll have breakfast with you. I'd seen her name before. I'd seen her on TV. But I didn't know her. And so I went out for a run in Central Park. Apparently, she did the same thing. We met in our running clothes at a Whole Foods and had like eggs and yogurt for breakfast. And one of the most delightful talks. And before we finished up breakfast, I said, you have to come share your story with cool things entrepreneurs do. She is a practicing attorney. She is an author and a speaker. You can see her on CNN and Fox News as a legal pundit. And... She is here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Heather, welcome to the show.
1: Tom, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have this extra conversation with you.
0: Yeah, no, it was so much fun. Every, I was telling my wife, every now and then, and then you meet somebody and you say, I want them to be my friend. <laughs>
1: It's so true. And I have found that since hanging out with more speakers, it happens more and more often, which says something about the type of person that you meet when you start becoming a speaker.
0: Well, that's true. And I don't know if it's good or bad, but we're a weird bunch of people and, and nobody else <laughs> understands when you do 100 plus nights in a hotel room and, you know, you, you, you fly. Everybody says, oh, it's so glamorous. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm in my hotel room by myself and, you know, I'm, I'm going to a restaurant alone. Yeah, you know, so I glamorous. Know, I know. So but glamorous. But the good
1: thing is, I mean, you you come to a city and you say, "Hey, guys, anybody want to have breakfast?" And I think that that's oftentimes not only a great thing to do to make new friends, but a great thing for entrepreneurs to do to make new contacts and to maybe get some new business.
0: Yeah, I do it every time. I always reach out either through the National Speakers Association or through different. There's some little secret speaker. Facebook pages. I reach out through that and just say, hey, does anybody want to do it? And some people I know are like, hey, cool, you're coming to town. Let's get together. And other people like you who I don't know. And it's just it's a great way to make connections and and meet people. And so anyway, I'm glad that we did that. And I'm especially glad because you're doing things that I think really will resonate with the people who listen to cool things entrepreneurs do. A lot of my audience want to be entrepreneurs, but they have a full-time job and that's how they pay their rent and they can't just run away from it. Uh, And maybe they don't even want to ever run away from it, but they have a passion that they want to turn into a business. And you're sort of living that. You've been a practicing attorney for a long time, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, over, I passed the bar in 97, but I started working at my law firm in 94. So okay. I've been at the same firm defending doctors and hospitals when they get sued since 1994.
0: Yeah, so that's over 20 years you, you've, yeah. you've been doing that, but then you've sort of stepped into this role of being sort of a, I don't, I don't know, I don't like the, the the label of like thought leader or expert, right. but, but you're out there, you're speaking, you're teaching people how to advocate for themselves and others, but also you've taken this sort of visibility role as sort of a legal pundit, which I think is just so cool.
1: Yeah, it's been, you know, it's so interesting, the whole idea of wanting to be an entrepreneur, but still keep your foot in your full-time job that oftentimes pays the bills. And people often say, you know, leap and the net will appear. And what I found, Tom, was rather than leaping, what worked for me was creeping. So I slowly (laughs) like crept into, my practice is in Philadelphia. Uh, I started spending time in New York doing television. That's how it all began. I first started doing TV because someone saw me speaking on a stage asked me if I wanted to do television. And so I was spending more and more time in New York until eventually I crept into living here full-time and only going back to Philadelphia for my trial work. But and that's not, Philadelphia
0: happens. is not that far, right? You can hop a train and you're there that's like it. lickety that's right. split. And
1: that's exactly right. And for a long time, I had a little tiny apartment in New York and my main home was in Philadelphia. And now I spend all my most of my time in New York and I stay neither in, in a hotel or at a friend's house when I go to Philadelphia. Nice. But I sort of crept into New York and I crept into speaking. You know, I started doing more and more speaking and putting myself out there same thing with TV. And I do find that sometimes the the creeping feels a little bit more safe. You're allowed to, you know that you can pay your bills. So there isn't this desperation to get a gig or to get a TV hit or whatever. And you're able to do it with a little bit more clear headedness that allows you to make better decisions. So for all of those out there who are listening, who think, you know, I need to either, go all in on one or the other, that is not true. And in fact, studies show that people who keep their main job while they try to pursue something new tend to do better in the new thing when they've done that.
0: So that's sort of what I did. I mean, I was speaking on the side for four or five years. I'd written my, my first few books while I had full-time employment. And the only reason that I jumped when I jumped... Uh, the plan was still a couple of years away, was the big recession came. And on April 1st, 2009, I got laid off and there were no jobs. And, you know, most of the people who got laid off were were middle age, you know, middle-level workers right. and in marketing. And it was like, you know, I was the director of marketing for a consulting firm and one day I wasn't. And there were no jobs for people like me, even though I was good at it and I had a good reputation and I liked it. There were no jobs. So I fortunately had crept in, as you put it. And so I actually had a foundation. I didn't go like from zero forward. I already had a reputation. I'd already written some books. So that was very helpful when I did eventually make that leap.
1: And in some ways that was a blessing because I think it is hard to finally make that decision. When is the right time to not have one foot in each boat? Because at some point I do think that you're going to end up doing a split or you have to choose a boat. And sometimes in situations like yours, the universe does it for you. And then there you are hopping onto a new boat and becoming very successful at it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it happened and all that. But I always wonder, I wonder what would have happened had it been uh, had I not gotten laid off, if I would have ever taken that leap. So, so it was, it was a good thing. But I always say that the irony of being laid off on April 1st has never, <laughs> has never been lost on me.
1: It's probably what led you to comedy.
0: That's right. 10 and a half years, <laughs> Ten and a half years. This has been sort of the jokes on you, Tom, welcome to the world of entrepreneurship.
1: Right. Yeah. So,
0: so what do you love about sort of growing this side business of, of speaking and being a TV, you know, pundit and things like that? What do you like about it?
1: So much. First of all, it's just new challenges. You know, Lee Iacocca said that you need to replant yourself every few years, just like a plant, to get new foundation, new soil, new fertilizers, all that good stuff. And so, you know, as a, an attorney, because I was a def, am, am a defense attorney, I don't have to so much go out seeking work. The work tends to be repetitive, and I represent the same doctors in the same practice for a long time. And so, it's very different for me to have to sell you know, to have to go out and get clients. And more importantly, I think to have to sell myself, you know, my new business is me. And so (laughs) to have to go out and say, you know, hire me to do your keynote, hire me to teach your team how to advocate for their big ideas and for your business, hire me to consult with you on how to do that for your big idea when you go in front of an investor. That's a challenge. And it's a fun challenge. You know, I'm enjoying it. I've always enjoyed being on stage and speaking to juries, you know, 12 people, that is always an audience. And so in that respect, it's not that much different. And the TV is the same way. It's funny. The first time that I did television, one of the people in the green room said, oh, this is going to be the scariest thing you've ever done. And I said, not even close, (laughs) because when I'm arguing my cases, Tom, it's, you know, it's very important to the doctors that I represent and it's win or lose. It's a, it's a, you know, as Simon's next new book talks about, it's a finite game. Right. Um, and with television, if I mess up, the worst thing that can happen is they don't call me back and people laugh at me and send me mean tweets. And I have <laughs> dealt with all of those in the past and I can do it again.
0: <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about doing the, the appearances on the, the, the Foxes and the, the, the CNNs and the MSNBCs. How did that even come about? I mean, in a way, you know, I think anyone who works in sort of this expert world would love to have that opportunity. How, how did it happen?
1: Well, it's interesting, and, and I will start at the beginning. I did a huge speech to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, gosh, 2011 ish. And someone in the audience approached me and said, well, Have you ever thought about doing television? And, you know, as a kid, I wanted to be Oprah. So, of
0: course, I had thought about <laughs> me, doing television. Me, me too. <laughs>
1: Who doesn't, Tom? I mean, for her bank account, if nothing else. (laughs) So um, I said, sure, I would love that. And what happens, there's a caveat here, though, because I started and continue to do most of my television work as a legal analyst. So I don't get to talk so much about my book or my podcast or my consulting because they're not the same topic. Sometimes there's overlap and then they allow me to do it. But most of the time what I'm talking about is whatever big legal cases in the news. So, and the interesting thing about television is the first show I ever did was Shepard Smith's show on Fox at 3 p.m. And I was not a huge Fox watcher. My father was, so he was so excited. But then (laughs) once you do one show, producers from all of the other shows and channels watch. Right. So immediately I got calls from MSNBC and CNN and HLN to start doing shows. And then the more I did those, it just became a snowball. And this was before the current presidency. And I only say that because President Trump has changed the way that the cable news stations approach the news. It's much more political and they spend less time on legal stories. Yeah,
0: and I'm glad to hear you say that because I've sort of noticed that there doesn't seem to be like news. Anymore, It seems to be what did Trump do or what did the people who aren't Trump do?
1: And, and you're 100 percent right, especially on cable television, you know, the 24 hour cable news, because that drives ratings know, upsets people. There's emotion behind it. I mean, there's so much there. But I started I got lucky. And I say this to young lawyers, especially who asked me about getting on television. It's harder now. You know, I started when it was the George Zimmerman trial with Trayvon Martin, that terrible case, and then the Jody Arias trial. I mean, I was running around New York in heaven doing one show after the other for weeks at a time, and now it just isn't, there aren't that many opportunities. Now, things have changed a little bit in that Dan Abrams, who is one of my bosses, he started the Law and Crime Network, and they stream trials all day long, so I'm an anchor there. I did that kind of full time for a year. And now I've pulled back a little bit on that and court TV has started back up. Um, and so that too allows for lawyers to have a little bit more opportunity to be on television. But the interesting thing, Tom is, I think we still look at TV as, Oh gosh, I'd like to be on TV. But I tell people all the time, your Instagram is your TV. Your Facebook is your TV, your ability to podcast. There is so There's so much content out there that television is not the place that people necessarily go. And so if you have a message that you want to share in the way you want to share it, use the resources you have available to you. And if you're an entrepreneur, do it to talk about your business on the television stations that you have at your fingertips with your phone.
0: Well, and they used to say that if you were an author and you've written a book, I've written several books, that if you could get on the Today Show, you would move like 100,000 books. And now they say you move... Hundreds of books. I mean, it's the the audience size because we have so many channels and even off TV now. We have, what, 700,000 podcasts that you can choose from and we have all the things on YouTube and everything else that uh, there's so many choices that there is no single large audience anymore that nobody can move as many books because there's just nobody who has that many eyeballs at one time.
1: I think that that's right. And I think that that's why you really, you know, I always say, and when I'm teaching people how to advocate, that they have to know their jury. You know, who are you trying to sell your story to? Who are you trying to advocate to? And I think that when you're trying to sell your book, for example, you want to go on those podcasts where the people who are most likely to buy your books are listening. And so that might not be the today show. I saw a spike in my books after I did Good Day Philadelphia. Um, So I think sometimes local is better than national. Mm -hmm. I think that you really, whatever it is that you're advocating for, whether it's your book, your business, or your big idea, you really need to know who your jury is and then figure out the best way to sell to them.
0: So when did you start your podcast?
1: Uh, It's been just about a year. I think like October 15th of 2018 was probably the first episode aired.
0: Okay. And what caused you to jump into that medium?
1: Well, I knew... Couple things. I loved being a podcast guest. Um, I loved radio as a medium. I've done quite a bit of uh, serious interviews uh, when I, again, as a legal analyst primarily. And I think that radio is really interesting because you can get into deeper conversations, you have more time. It's not like TV with these short little hits. I knew that my book was coming out in April and thought that this would be a good way to start to build a bit of an audience before the book came out. Although I probably didn't give myself enough lead time. You know, it takes time with a podcast to build an audience and I probably didn't give myself enough time, but it has been, and I know you, you say this all the time. I've listened, I've heard you say this, but it has been the greatest gift because you can ask people to have conversations with you that would otherwise you'd never get to
0: ask. Right.
1: So I've had some of the most I think my favorite guest was um, when I was anchoring at the Law and Crime Network, we covered the Larry Nasser trial. He was the gymnast doctor who was accused oh, of molesting yeah. all those um, young women. And the judge for that tra- trial, her name's Judge Rosemary Aquilina. And she, at the beginning of that, those, that, those hearings, Only about 50 women planned to come forward and most of them didn't plan to use their names. By the end of those hearings, over 150 women came forward and the majority of them did use their names. And I think it's in large part because of the way that Judge Aquilina addressed it. And specifically one question that she used that, Tom, I write about this in my book and I recommend that all entrepreneurs think about this question slash request and use it in their business. When the women would come before her to tell their story, she wouldn't say, tell me what happened to you. She wouldn't say, tell me what I need to know. She said, tell me what you want me to know. Mm. And that put the power back in those women's hands and that they could express themselves in any way they wanted. And since then, I have used that in my family relationships, in my personal relationships, and in my work with my clients. Because when you start a conversation by saying, tell me what you want me to know, things open up and people say things that you otherwise would never get with little short closed questions.
0: So why don't you tell the audience of cool things entrepreneurs do what you'd like them to know about Heather Hansen?
1: Oh, I love that. Look at that. Tell me what you want me to know. I want you to know that if you have a big idea and we all have big ideas, you have got to advocate for it. You know, there's a book and I have it here because I I love it. It's a children's book and it's what to do with your big idea. What do you do with an idea? And In that book, it's similar to the GE commercial where you see the idea and the idea needs love and it needs attention and it needs time and it needs passion and it needs books and it needs studying. And I think all of those things are true. But one of the things that we forget is that your idea also needs someone to advocate for it. Your idea needs someone to speak for it and to support it and get it out into the world. And no one can do that better better than you can. You know, my clients hire me to advocate for them in the courtroom, but ultimately the jury wants to hear from them. Mm. And so for 25 years, I have taught clients and witnesses how to turn to juries and advocate for their big ideas. And I really think that if everyone recognizes that your big idea needs you to learn how to speak up for it effectively, to make sure that it gets all the money and attention and loyalty and engagement that it needs, that everybody's big ideas would have better successes.
0: I like that. I think that's good. So I always ask people now, this is kind of a new question on the show. How important do you think it is for people who are entrepreneurs or even a successful lawyer? How important do you think it is for people in any career to, number one, trust themselves, but number two, to like themselves?
1: Wow. deep. These are deep questions. The trust question is one that I talk about a lot because I one of the five C's of an advocate is credibility. And I cannot win a case if the jury doesn't find me credible. And I can't win a case if the jury doesn't find my client credible. I would love to be able to build trust with the jury. But in the short time that I get with them, that's not super likely. But trusting yourself Is I mean, you've been with yourself as long as you've been alive. And I do think that it is imperative that you trust yourself. And that means that you have to build that trust the same way that you would with someone else. So if you set expectations, you have to meet them. And if you make promises, you have to keep them. And if you don't, you have to be honest with yourself. Because if I tell myself I'm going to get out of bed tomorrow morning at 4.30 and go for a run, and then I don't, well, I'm going to trust myself a little bit less the next time that I say that. So I think trusting yourself as an entrepreneur, especially because there's no one else holding you accountable.
0: (laughs) Amen. Amen to that.
1: (laughs) You've got to trust yourself. And in the same way, and this is something that I am really stepping into now at this stage of my life, you must like yourself because you have to be able to sell yourself. So you have to be able to really believe in the things that you can do for the people that you serve so that you can actively promote them and advocate for them. And I think that that takes a real sense of self-knowledge and, to be honest, self-love.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm discovering that now. I think I spent about 14 years letting the ideas of others uh, through words or actions get into that little voice in my head and make me feel I wasn't worthy. And, uh, you know, I think I've finally gotten to a point where I can say, oh, shut up, little voice.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that little voice is always going to be there. Elizabeth Gilbert has a great analogy, you know, that that's the voice of fear, right? And she has a great analogy where she says if you're going on a car trip, fear gets to go along for the ride. But fear has to sit doesn't get to control the wheel for sure. It doesn't get to give directions. It doesn't even get to control the radio. Fear has to sit in the back seat and you take the road, you take the wheel, you I like to that. make the plan. Yeah, that's, I love that. Too.
0: I, I think that's awesome. So in the work I do, I work with entrepreneurs and CEOs and companies on this gap that exists for many, not for everybody, between potential and performance. You know, I always tell people that, you know, potential's great, we get excited about it, but potential doesn't equal results. I actually call some of the work I do the paradox of potential, because we're so excited, but does it really mean anything? Does potential alone mean buff squat? You know, I don't, I don't know. So I always like to ask now the people who come on the show, why do you think some people are more capable of getting across that gap and other people fall into the abyss.
1: I think that there's so many answers to that. I mean, I just finished a book called Good Habits, Bad Habits that talks about how 43% of what we do in a day is habits. And so I think that establishing the healthy habits that are going to support you reaching your potential is important. I know that that's easier said than done, but it's definitely um, something that we all need to look at what our habits are and whether or not they're serving us. I think it's also a, an ability to see the the could be, the potential really clearly. Because when you can see it, it it gives you an ability to get there. Visualization, I think, is something that is true. the, The benefits of that are true. And when you can see that potential in a very clear way, it gives you something to aim for rather than, I want to be a successful entrepreneur. Well, that's not really as helpful as I want to do X number of keynote speeches a year and have this many consulting clients, and this is how much I'm going to earn at each one of those endeavors. And those numbers change. You know, I've always struggled with vision boards because I feel like the universe or God or whatever you believe in has greater plans for me than I could ever plan for myself. But at the same time, making those plans gives you something to aspire to and plan for. And I think that helps you reach your potential as well.
0: Oh, I love that answer. I think that's I think that's very good. So, Heather, I've got a couple of more questions for you before I can let you go. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and listening to really cool people like Heather Hansen. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things. Check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Heather, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in business right now?
1: Oh, my gosh. So many cool things. So the book came out in April. I'm still doing some touring with the book. I'd still do quite a bit of speaking. Um, A group of female surgeons has me coming in next week to do like a book club with them. The book is called The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. And it's for men and women because men can be elegant as well. And it talks about some of the lessons I've learned from the courtroom and how they apply to life. So that's, the, the, I think, probably the coolest thing. The podcast is also called The Elegant Warrior, and that's another cool thing I'm doing. And then working with companies to teach them how to advocate for their big ideas and give them specific actionable tools to do
0: so. Awesome. So, Heather, I love to ask people who come on the show who they admire, because we could talk about you and your career all day long. However, I think great entrepreneurs are observers. So the best question, I love this question, is who do you admire when you look at the entrepreneur sphere, the world of entrepreneurs, who do you say she's she or he are doing the cool things?
1: You know, it's, there's so many people I admire for different reasons. I have a lot of admiration for my father, for his patience. I have a lot of admiration for my mother, for her um, empathy and kindness. I have tons of admiration for Kendra Hall, for her energy and her enthusiasm and her unwillingness to quit. I have a ton of um, uh, admiration for Neem James for owning those things about her that make her different. I think that everyone that I meet in this world has something that I can aspire to and take a piece of. I used to say that as a young attorney, I wanted to be second chair, backup lawyer to as many different lawyers as I could, because I wanted to get everyone's styles so I could take pieces and create my own mosaic of a style. Mm. And I feel the same way about entrepreneurs. I mean, I'm a, voracious reader. I'm a huge, I admire Seth Godin in a huge way because of the way that he can really condense things down to a short idea and make it really understandable. So I've got a lot of people on my list, but just about everyone that I meet, I admire your idea that you turned 50 years old and decided that you were going to make the next, next what, 25 years? Yeah. 50 to
0: 75. Year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I admire that. And I look up to it because I do think that so often we think as we get older that we're sort of losing opportunities and you saw it the exact opposite.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I literally, we talk about it on the show once in a while, but it's, I said, I'm going to make 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And, and there's, there's two things that come out of that. First of all, is my dad was 52 when I was born. I don't even have a memory of my own dad till he's almost 60. And he lived to be 99. He was widowed at 70. And everybody thought, well, boy, because my parents had a great relationship, that's going to be really hard on him. And it was. But about a year later, all of a sudden, he was active and he was going out and he was going on trips and he was doing all these things. And he said, look, he was 72 years old, 71 years old. He said, I could live 10 more years. I might as well enjoy it. And then, of course, he lived 30 more years almost. And uh, so I, I always thought you don't have to slow down. I don't have... 50 never scared me because I don't even know my dad until he was 60. So it's like, okay. And he was so active until like 95. Got a little, after 95, it was a little sketchy, but up until then, well, yeah, my mom died at 58. So it's, you know, my brother always says, if we split the difference, we're okay. You know, you still get to (laughs) 80, you know, it's like not so bad. That's right. But, uh, but the other thing is, is that people always say, when I say, oh, I'm going to make 50 to 75, the best years of my life. They go, well, what about 75 to a hundred? Your dad lived to be 99. And I'm like, we'll cross that bridge. Right.
1: Exactly. When
0: we get to it, let's just enjoy this quartile.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And I and I admire that.
0: <laughs> so the other question I ask everybody sort of at the end of the show is what do you do to contribute to society? Because I think as entrepreneurs, if we're fortunate and, you know, shoot, you have a great life, you know, you're fortunate. I think we have Absolutely. to do more than make money. What do you do to give back to the greater good?
1: So this is something that I did more when I lived primarily in Philadelphia, and I still try to keep involved, but it's an important thing. There's something called the Support Center for Child Advocates based in Philadelphia, although I think they have something similar in most big cities. When kids are involved in the legal system, and and we'll speak specifically to the criminal system, not so much when they're defendants, but like if their parents have both been arrested and now they're sort of like flailing and no one's there to help them out, no one's there to see them through the system, they need help and they don't oftentimes get their own attorneys. And so attorneys can volunteer and you get some additional training. That training is intense and it also makes you realize what high stakes really are. But you get to go in and represent a child as they go through the system. You know, it's not criminal defense. If they're charged with crimes, that's a different story. But this is as like a guardian, someone who's looking out for the child's interest. And it is super rewarding and also eye-opening. And so anyone who has the opportunity, if you're a lawyer, to do that, it's, uh, it's an opportunity that I wouldn't let pass.
0: Nice. So, Heather, if somebody's listening to this and they think I – I want to be an elegant warrior and they want to, you know, they want to know more about you. Maybe they, you know, they have an organization, maybe, you know, a women's organization. They're like, she's the perfect speaker. How do they find you?
1: I just changed my website. By the time that this is live, it will be live. It is advocatetowin.com. And you can reach out to me at Heather at Advocate to Win. The book is available there. There's a link to the podcast there. You can also see um, some of the speeches that I've done, a link to some testimonials. All the good stuff is going to be found there.
0: Nice. Advocate to Win, I think that's a great a great tagline because think about it. As entrepreneurs who are doing cool things, if we don't advocate our own big ideas, if we don't advocate to win... No one's going to do it for us. I spent a lot of time waiting for some people to show up with magic fairy dust. And guess what? It doesn't happen. No, that's
1: absolutely, that's the whole point of the business. So thank (laughs) you for that.
0: So any last words for the audience?
1: No, I just think that, you know, entrepreneurs are doing cool things every day, even in the days that it doesn't feel like they're very cool, you know, when you're balancing (laughs) your books and just remember that it takes time. One step forward, two steps back. It's all a dance.
0: Absolutely. Well, Heather Hansen, thank you so much for being a guest here on cool things. Entrepreneurs do. And thank you so much to everybody who tuned in and listened. I, said it, I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? There'd be no show. So if you like the show, jump on the Apple podcast and leave a review. Subscribe. Do, play a little game. Walk around. Get everyone in your office to subscribe on their iPhone. In fact, if you could get 10 people to subscribe, take a picture and send it to me, and I'll give you something. I don't know what it'll be. But uh, subscriptions are what drive podcasts. So I always ask. I don't know if it ever happens. But let's have some fun with it. Hey, but do this. Go out there, find out what is your big idea. Are you advocating for it? Go do that. Make sure your ladder's against the right wall and go out and try new things. And while you're doing that, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger.